Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. Uh, this week in Elon Musk brings us yet more news of uh, Twitter's acquisition. Of course, last week we talked about everything leading up to the acquisition and the acquisition has closed. And now there are a lot of question marks about what comes next. Uh, there was some news that broke this week that suggested Elon was uh, was being pushed, prodded, and maybe even pressured by other tech executives that, that wanted to uh, see Elon take it over. E- even some rumors that uh, Jack Dorsey himself was, uh, was pushing Elon in that uh, direction. And I think that, you know, the next big question is, where do we go from here? Do we see changes quickly? Do we see an edit button? Elon has, uh, of course, promised an edit button. And do we see that quickly? Or or do we see Twitter continuing to struggle with implementing some of these services that have long been debated, discussed, and, and touted? I think there are, as you say, Sean, a real large number of questions. Uh, It does seem as more of these stories are coming out that this was the culmination of a range of grievances coming from all corners of uh, the internet and political spectrum. I think the two main questions kind of boils down to what, if anything, does he want to change and to what extent will he be able to achieve that? There are schools of thought that he isn't really interested in changing as much as he seems to indicate he wants to because Twitter has been a very effective platform for him. There have been reports that there have been people banned from the service who are very excited about him taking ownership and have already been in contact with him about getting their accounts reinstated. Of course, uh, a number of stories over the past week about how uh, Donald Trump uh, might get his account reinstated, but has no interest in rejoining because he is committing to uh, to his own uh, network, uh, Truth Social. In and fact, then- he, he posted to that for the very first time uh, this week saying, I'm back. I'm back. Kofefe. Um, so- yeah, Kofefe. Yeah, Kofefe. Kofefe lives. Uh, so, uh, and and then there's a, a question around, you know, if he does want to make these radical changes, uh, to what extent will he be able to do so? Because uh, big news coming this week about the Digital Services Act uh, being passed in the EU that has stipulations around moderation and content moderation and Last week and in the past, we also talked about the role that app stores have to play in uh, content moderation. So it's very difficult, if impossible, to reconcile being a free speech absolutist, as Musk has been described, with the realities of distribution uh, for social media apps on um, on, on which these services rely. So uh, certainly taking the service private would provide some more breathing room uh, for him to experiment with things and not have to answer for quarterly revenue numbers. Uh, He he could do some experimentation. Uh, I couldn't even begin to speculate how these proposed changes about 
opening up the algorithm and basing on web three technologies might might affect things uh, but uh, but uh, you know as, as you say a, a lot of uh, a lot of open questions uh, which seem to be reflected in the all hands uh, that was reported this week uh, with uh, Parag Agrawal and the staff uh, the demoralized staff according to reports uh, where he basically, you know, laid out this litany of mea culpas. You know, there's much more we could have done over the past five years. But as both of us have uh, have seen covering uh, Twitter and seeing what's evolved there over the past five years, while the revenue has always and the market cap has always significantly trailed those of, uh, of competitors, they dealt with some very vexing issues. Uh, and uh, I think it's safe to say it's very difficult to say what what if you know had, had been uh i personally can't see any changes that twitter might have been able to make that would have significantly bridged the revenue gap or the membership number gap with say facebook since so many people love twitter just the way it is and the problem is that that doesn't work very well for the people who are trying to run it as a business and and drive revenue and arguably, you know, that that's what Facebook for a very long time did quite well was it was able to run advertising that didn't really interfere with the the use of the core offering and the core service. Now, we saw this week also that uh, Facebook revenue is growing and ad revenue is growing at its slowest pace since the company has been a public company. So uh, things might be changing on that front as well. But but when it comes to Twitter running ads, they look for the most part like other tweets and they are, uh, you know, very kind of front and center in your feed. And so it does seem to influence the, uh, the system. And so that's why there's always been this, you know, uh, more recent push towards Twitter blue and integrating new features into that. It will be interesting to me to, to see how long Elon actually holds Twitter. If he does hold it for the long run, certainly he's not uh, not you know in need of a cash infusion. So he's probably doing just fine. He sold over eight billion dollars of Tesla stock in in advance of this bid, but he's doing just fine. What's interesting to me is it just doesn't really fit into his existing portfolio of priorities. If you look at a lot of what he's doing, it's all around delivering physical products into the the physical space, whether it's a Tesla vehicle, a Starlink satellite that that is being shot into the air, uh, you know, the boring company. uh, Gigantic underground drills. Yeah, all of these other, you know, big initiatives. And there are some synergies there, uh, at least early on, you know, you can see where, for example, in Las Vegas, where the, you know, they're using... In the loop system, there the uh, the Teslas, and so there is some some dynamics there. And, and Twitter just doesn't seem to really fit inside of that portfolio very well. And and it's tough to imagine there's going to ever be a lot of synergies between Twitter and say, uh, t- you know, Tesla or Starlink or any of these other current. Oh, well, Starlink maybe. Maybe Starlink, Starlink. Maybe. yeah. Yeah, maybe Starlink. I want one thing I find funny, which uh, you know just popped into my head, and thinking about the uh, the mea culpas and Twitter's track record is that over the years, a lot of the 
Twitter's failure to perform at, uh, at, at expected levels was attributed to the volatility of the management, you know, a number of CEOs over the years, and in particular, uh, j- accusations that Jack Dorsey was distracted, right? Because he, he was CEO of Twitter, founder and CEO of Twitter, and also was CEO of Square, uh, you know, but that divided attention seems trivial uh, compared to the number of uh, pies that uh, that Elon Musk has his hands in. So uh, it, it will be interesting to see what kind of uh, attention uh, he, he can bring to it, particularly, as you say, uh, uh, to, to a company that can't hope to grow as quickly uh, as uh, many of those uh, many of those other ventures, uh, and uh, you know may- maybe could have a payday at the end if it's uh, spun back out into uh, into a public company again. We'll see, uh, but um, uh, but yeah, it, 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 I think it, Twitter will have a a difficult time competing for the best attention of, uh, of Elon Musk. I, I definitely agree. I mean, if we think Jack Dorsey was distracted, certainly Elon is extremely distracted and he creates some of that distraction himself. He was already out tweeting this week that he's ready to buy Coca-Cola and joking that he's going to put the cocaine back into Coca-Cola. And, you know, so he's, he, uh, he, he definitely likes to, to be a disruptor likes to say agent provocateur. Yeah. Say things yeah, yeah. that, that uh, we, we know aren't, you know, aren't going to come to fruition, aren't true, aren't. So uh, it's tough to know sometimes where to put weight on some of his comments that he makes and, and the commitments that he makes. So I don't think that he will uh, be super focused on Twitter. In fact, uh, you know, Reuters was reporting that he's got a new CEO lined up and he's been offering monetization ideas. And I do think early on he'll be busy with it. He'll he'll spend some time with it. And then the question is, does he get bored and want to move on to the, you know, to the next thing? Now that could be a good situation. Maybe, you know, that that would be a good situation for Twitter. So that uh, remains to be seen. Uh, in other news this week, we saw that uh, Snap has announced Pixie. This is a $230 mini drone that can uh, capture photos and videos. It syncs with Snapchat instantly. This is uh, in the line of selfie drones. This is a, a very small, a lightweight, weighs just a little over 100 grams uh, drone. You essentially deploy it and it takes selfies, videos, photos. It can do a, a number of different things, float orbit around you. Uh, it can follow you a little bit as you as you walk or run. And then you uh, simply put out your hand. It will land back in your hand. One nice feature is that it does sync instantly with Snapchat. So you're able to get all of the videos and photos there instantly, unlike other drones it doesn't have a memory card so you don't record onto uh you know a uh, at least a removable memory card that you would then 
put into your computer. It, it, it does have a USB port, though. So if you would rather avoid Snapchat and just deal with it traditionally, that that is an option. It has no controller, unlike uh, traditional drones that you could, uh, you know, fly around. This one doesn't have a, a controller, um, so it's one more initiative in, in Snap's portfolio as the as they try to build out, you know, photography and video and other things that you would want to share on the platform. It's been really interesting to see the evolution of Snap's hardware devices from the very fanciful, expensive uh, spectacles line, which has only gotten more complex and more expensive as they have moved into uh, true and, and more and, and less mainstream uh, as they have moved into uh, augmented reality capabilities and have positioned that product for a creative tier of, um, of, of enthusiasts, um, whereas this is one of the least expensive drones uh, in, in the market, uh, smaller and less expensive than the DJI, DJI Mavic Mini, which is uh, probably one of the most, one of the smallest and, and user-friendliest uh, drones that uh, are, are available uh, today. Uh, this product is very much in the spirit of a, of a product that has been kicking around for the past few years called Air Selfie. It was started as a crowdfunding project. It was even less expensive and smaller than the um, uh, than uh, than Pixie, but uh, but it it uh, hasn't really found a lot of momentum uh, over over the past few years. Sure, a fair amount of that has been related to supply chain issues and pandemic, as has uh, haunted uh, a number of uh, hardware startups. Uh, Snap probably has a little bit more, a little bit more uh, leeway and uh, and runway with with this. Another interesting element of it, I think, is the partnership with uh, with Qualcomm, uh, which of course does a tremendous amount of work in imaging sensors. Uh, in conjunction with their phone development efforts. So I'm expecting that this thing will take uh, pretty decent photos and video if they're using a relatively up-to-date uh, image sensor from, uh, from Qualcomm. And at uh, you know, less than $250, uh, it really has an opportunity to be perhaps the, the Oculus Go of, uh, of drones, where... Uh, it's, it's a category that has really had a hard time breaking into the mainstream. Uh, Sean, I, I don't even know if you remember, but many, many years ago, you and I were on a panel uh, that talked about drone applications. And uh, certainly since then, and it's really been mostly about surveillance and agriculture applications and security applications. Uh, there have, of course, been professional photographers uh, professional cinematographers uh, who who have used them, uh, but uh, but it in general really hasn't been the kind of thing you, you've seen regular consumers uh, using as a higher tech replacement for the selfie stick, uh, and uh, that's that's part of I think what Snap is trying to do here. And yet, I would argue that I feel like I see a lot fewer selfie sticks when I'm out and about. There was a period where that was quite popular. And uh, and maybe cameras on our cameras have gotten better, and 
and uh, alleviated some of the need for for selfie sticks or yeah, absolutely I, I would attribute that in part to the better ultra wide capture capabilities because the phone manufacturers realized this is what people were trying to do with selfies so i think my struggle with this particular category is it is a very niche category and it's one more thing you have to remember to bring along if you want to take photos re, you know, remote away from where you are. Uh, Joanna Stern in the Wall Street Journal reported that the battery only lasts a few flights and it can't handle wind very well. And, and it is small, so maybe it makes a lot of sense uh, inside of... Uh, a jacket pocket. Yeah, yeah. You, you put it there, but you could also take photos in, indoors where you may not pull it typically pull a drone out to take photos. Maybe this would be suitable for an indoor environment. And so then I think about college campuses, and maybe this makes a lot of sense for, you know, college campuses, parties, dorm rooms, things like that, where where you want to have it around and you you have it there already. So you hadn't, you don't need to remember to bring it with you, but it still just feels like a, a niche category. With, with that said, I've actually been looking at selfie drones lately. My uh, sons have gotten into motocross, and so we've been out uh, riding dirt bikes. And uh, in addition to using GoPros, we thought it might be interesting to have a, a drone follow us around. I don't know that this is going to be the the solution nah, for that, prob- but it's probably it, beyond what this can do. But yeah, yeah. but it it does. You know, there is a an interesting category for selfie drones or or, or follow me drones. So. Uh, will be in, be interesting to see if that is a category that ever takes off, and and if it does take off, do we see drones, you know, following all these cars as they make cross country drives, and do we see you know drones flying around New York City as people are out walking on the on the sidewalk? It'll be interesting to see if if this ever becomes a major problem. Yeah, if you thought uh, scooters were. Uh lying all over the place ready to cause you to, to trip over them was an issue then wait wait till we have drones everywhere but, yeah uh, and, and but, they're competing for airspace with app with amazon and everyone else so. right and and pigeons uh the uh one application for this that i think could be really interesting is youtubers podcasters journalists uh doing interviews uh short kind of on location type things uh this way you don't have to bring a tripod. You don't have to have a third person holding the camera uh, that, uh, you know, for, for, I think a lot of people, it would be an easily justifiable uh, purchase from, from that perspective, again, assuming it can do the job. So, yeah. So Ross, next time we're uh, on site somewhere together, yeah. we can Pixie pull out will be our, the, yeah, Pixie our, will be our Pixie. camera person. Yeah. We'll yeah. try it out. Uh, in our final news from this week, we had a number of uh, quarterly announcements from companies. Apple reported just stellar uh, growth in a number of their segments. Uh, unsurprisingly, uh, we saw Amazon in turn uh, report quite difficult results. Q1 revenue was up 7% on a year over year basis. They reported a $3.8 billion net loss. AWS did quite well, up 37% year over year, but outside of, of AWS, the, the retail business looks to be uh, more challenged. And we also saw reports from Instacart that they are exploring ways of 
changing their their business operations, their business models, and and figuring out ways that they can um, uh, introduce new strategies in a post pandemic world, shifting to not just providing a service but also selling their software to grocers, adding more ads to their apps, trying to avoid being one more of these companies that boomed during the pandemic, but then ha- had a, a fizzling out. And Amazon, in some ways, feels like that they might also, uh, at least the retail business, be feeling that pressure as well. Of course, during the pandemic, everybody bought goods. We weren't buying services because they were all closed. So we weren't going to Broadway. We weren't going to the movie theater. And now that those things are reopened, we're going back to eating out at restaurants, going to to see shows and we're spending less on goods. And so uh, some of these companies are, are feeling the impact. Certainly there's been a lot of stories about Zoom and what they're going to do to uh, redefine themselves in a, a post-pandemic world where video probably plays a role, but it doesn't play the role that it played during the pandemic, at least not anytime soon where we're attending virtual happy hours and virtual birthdays and bar mitzvahs and and everything else that's happening in the virtual world. Yeah, that's that's actually been a big part of what uh, WebEx, the Cisco group that does uh, video collaboration, has been talking about. Uh, they purchased a company called Socio uh, last year, and uh, Socio's focus is not just on live uh, in, in-person events or remote events, but truly hybrid events where you have some attendees that are in person and some attendees that are remote and they're continuing to build up their their feature set um uh, socio uh, they they just renamed it uh, webex events to to bring it more into the the branding fold but uh one commonality that we're seeing with uh, both amazon and instacart is that they are really looking to become more platform providers. Of course, uh, Amazon has done a masterful job of this with, with AWS, but, uh, but we've seen it in, in other elements as well. Uh, we've talked on the podcast in the past about Sidewalk, their IoT uh, network that has driven off uh, various Echo and Ring devices. And the first customers for that are not Amazon, but companies like Tile. Uh, which are looking for ways to locate uh, items uh, inexpensively to compete with the network that Apple has been able to build off uh, off iPhones. Uh, Another example that we talked about recently is uh, Buy With Prime, uh, where they're taking this infrastructure uh, that they've been known about, that they've uh, been known for for many years, and extending it to to, to smaller uh, businesses, uh, which could perhaps uh, help uh, bolster uh, retail uh, activity. Uh, And Instacart similarly looking to monetize part of its platform uh, to enable other parties to to deliver more effectively. Also, in in reading many of the stories about uh, the the slowdown with Amazon retail, uh, there was a citation of uh, beefed up e-commerce efforts from Walmart uh, and Target and, and other retailers. Uh, certainly that has been the case for Instacart, where 
Uh, I could probably think of four or five companies that have been very aggressive in the home delivery, uh, grocery delivery space. Uh, so, you know, some of them are clearly making some market share inroads, whether that will last. I don't think the market can support all of these guys. Uh, we, we will see. Uh, but at least for now, they're, they're all being very aggressive. And it isn't unlike what we talked about in last week's episode where Amazon is looking at leveraging some of their logistics expertise to grow out that business, arguably similar to what they did with AWS. So as much as the, the market um, uh, pounded, if you will, uh, Amazon this week, the stock traded down on, on that news, you know, the stock, has, the Wall Street has has given Amazon a long lead time to uh, grow revenue. And over that time, they've been able to develop these new businesses like AWS. Maybe they'll develop a logistics business. And so it's like the the retail business is always the, the loss leader in that. And, and you're seeing other companies now look at, okay, where do we have expertise? How do we use that expertise? How can we sell that expertise to someone else when it's not really what was originally the core service or the core business that they were they were offering. Now we will see if they can do that in a short enough time to uh, to offset any declines that they have from uh, from people moving away from their their services and their offerings in a in a post pandemic world. That wraps up this week's episode of Techspansive. Again, I'm Sean Dubravac. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubravac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Thanks for listening.